I bring you greetings uh, from Kathy and me. It's a delight for us to be with you today. We got back in town from overseas um, on the 4th of July, so uh, we're just about over jet lag now. If I fall asleep during my sermon, uh, it's because of jet lag. If you fall asleep, well, you can blame it on me, I guess. So uh, uh, Tom LaValle and I uh, started seminary together and graduated together in 95. So those of you who are, are uh, remember Tom as your pastor, um, we both began our ministry in Florida at the same time. Uh, I only stayed about eight years down here in Florida and went elsewhere, and he continued on for a while. But we were great friends, Tom and Kathy, and my Kathy and I were great friends, learned a lot together, ministering together. So I've been here in this uh, campus a few times, never on a Sunday. But uh, meeting with Tom, meeting with uh, others uh, as we had meetings in uh, the southeast district uh, of the free church here in this area. So I don't feel like I'm a total stranger to y'all, but uh, it's good to be here on a Sunday morning with you. So I I want you to use your imagination a little bit. I want you to picture yourself, uh, you know, in a worship service just just like this. And and there's a guest speaker and... uh, you're anticipating this, you know, you've read his bio and, and uh, you're anticipating this, this, uh, this guest speaker coming to you. You've got great anticipation about that. And, and finally, the moment arrives where he stands up in the pulpit and he opens his mouth and you are in awe. I mean, you know, he's just the words, the, the eloquence that comes out of his mouth and And you're in awe, and you you kind of look around, and you notice, you know, everybody else has about the same response, about the same reaction, and you're just wondering where this is going to to go. His his voice is not unpleasing. He's not particularly handsome, but, you know, he's not too bad to look at. And so you're you're enjoying the moment. You're you're engaged in the process. What is he going to say? And then then he says something, and you go, did he just say that? And, and you, you figure you must have heard it wrong because you look around and nobody else seems to have responded the same way. And, but now you're kind of listening more attentively. And, oh, there it is again. You're, you know, it's not, it's not exactly wrong. It's just not quite complete. It's not the, the whole message of God. And now you're, you're hanging on every word. You're even taking notes in your mind and, and, and you're just hoping, when will this service be over? And then that moment comes, and now you've got a dilemma. You know, people are lining up at the door to say their greetings to this guest speaker. And, and you've got a dilemma. What do you do? Do you ignore the inconsistencies, the inaccuracies in, in what he shared? Or do you just shake his hand like everybody else and say something innocuous like, have a great day and wish you well? Or, or do you confront him with his errors? Well, that's almost exactly the dilemma that a couple that we read about in Acts 18 were faced one day as they came to a worship service and a guest speaker began to share. So if you'd open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 18, and we'll pick up the story 
in verse 24. Acts 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. <laughs> what a bold move. What a gracious move. And the result of that move resulted in the multiplication of the gospel throughout the region. As this humble couple admonished and instructed a great man of God more accurately about who Jesus is and what he had come to do. So we're going to look at this passage. We're going to look at this remarkable couple today. They're, you know, they're, they're not one of the prominent characters in, in the Bible. Actually, they show up 16 times in the New Testament, but uh, usually it's just referring to them as hosting a church in their home and Paul giving greetings to them and passing greetings through them to other people. But in Acts 18, we get a glimpse of this married couple and their commitment to follow Jesus, how they were committed to be on mission all the time. Now, they didn't start that way. God had to prepare them for mission. But then as he embraced, as they embraced the mission he gave them and joined him on mission, we see how he used them in various places in various ways. So we're going to look at this this morning with this one idea in mind. God wants you and me to be on his mission all the time. He wants us consciously to be aware of where we are and when we are and who we're with so that we might share him with those around us. Now, we're first introduced to Aquila and Priscilla in uh, the opening verses of this chapter. So let's look back at, at uh, chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. We read in the previous chapter how Paul, a missionary, uh, a missionary apostle, had been moving throughout the region. He had now entered into Europe and was sharing the gospel, planting churches, and he had been in Athens, and now he had come to Corinth. And verse 2, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So in these opening verses, we get a little background on who Aquila and Priscilla are. We learn their names, Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila is a Roman name. It simply means eagle. And Priscilla is a, also a Roman name, it's a very common name. It means ancient one. So they just had very ordinary, common Roman names, except 
that Aquila is not Roman. At least he wasn't born in Rome. We learn he was born, he was a native of Pontus. Pontus is a, is a, a city that was on the, uh, on the uh, southern shore of the Black Sea in the country we would call Eastern Turkey today. This is where he was. This is where he was a native. This is where he was born and presumably raised. We don't know how he got to Rome, but we know at some point he arrived in Rome and began to live there. We learn also about his ethnicity. He was, Luke identifies him as a Jew. Uh, that means that living in Rome, he would be a double minority. He would be a foreigner living in the capital of the empire. He would also be committed to worshiping one God in a city full of idolatry that worshiped many gods. We also learn a little about um, why they had to leave uh, Rome. They didn't leave by choice. It says in verse 2 that the Claudius the emperor ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So we don't know how... Uh, Aquila got to Rome, but we do know how he left Rome along with his wife Priscilla. He didn't leave by choice. He left because he was forced to go. He became a refugee and was ordered to leave the city, and so he left the city, and I don't know why he didn't go back to his hometown in Pontus, but he, they ended up going about halfway there to the country of Greece still part of the Roman Empire, to the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth at that time was a busy seaport, a busy industrial city. Maybe they went there because of their occupation. We learn that both of them, verse 3, both Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers. And when I think of tent makers, I think of those canvas things or nylon things that you sleep out in under the stars. Kathy and I lived in an RV for two years. We thought that would be a fun experience to be full-time RVers, so we purchased a 25-foot RV. We got rid of our house and our car, and we just traveled around in that RV when we weren't working internationally. And, you know, it was a lot of fun to live in, uh, to stay in RV parks like many of those do here in Florida. Uh, we were on the small side of RV uh, owners, 25 feet. We were usually surrounded by these monstrously big Class A's and trailers and fifth wheels and all that kind of stuff. But there occasionally were those little canvas tents, uh, people living in there. And when the rain would come, especially here in Florida, when the afternoon thunderstorms would come, I would pity those people living under those little tents as we were safely inside our little metal RV listening to the pounding rain. I don't think Aquila and Priscilla made those kind of tents, the tents that people go camping in. Maybe they did, but it's more likely that they made awnings for businesses, you know, the kind of things that you see at, at trade fairs and, and uh, art fairs and whatnot. I don't know if you have that in Lakeland where they set up under booths and they have a little 
uh, shelters. They made those kind of things. Most likely, that's the kind of structure that they made, which would have been very popular in their day. It's also possible that they made sails for boats. The same Greek word is used for the making of sails for boats, and that would be a lucrative business in a seaport as Corinth was. So I don't know what they made, but they made something, and they did it together. They were in business together. Aquila and Priscilla both were tent makers, so they were in business together and, and worked together, and I expect some of you are in business together. Uh, you maybe have a family business that you've been a part of and stuff. And you know if you work together um, that, and, and are together 24-7 working and living together, you know, it, it has rewards, but yeah, it also has challenges. And Kathy and I do ministry together. We are together 24 hours of every day, wherever we are in the world. And that's a blessing mostly, but it does have some challenges, you know, managing some privacy. So here's what's intriguing to me in this, what we read is when Paul, who also had the occupation of a tent maker, when he arrives in Corinth, he looks up, I don't know how he knew about them, but he looks up this couple and he gets hired by them to work with them. And then beyond that, they actually invite him to live with them. So now they've opened themselves up, not only their business to Paul, but also their home to Paul, and he's living with them in Corinth. And that began for Aquila and Priscilla, a lifelong relationship with this apostle. Now, as we, as we look at this opening this episode and these details uh, that, that Luke records here, I think there are at least three applications that are relevant to all of us, or most all of us here this morning. The first thing is that difficult circumstances, difficult circumstances in our life are not God's punishment of us, but rather his preparation of our lives for the mission he calls us to. So as God was preparing Aquila and Priscilla to be on mission with him, they hadn't quite started yet, as he's preparing, he used the difficult circumstance of a forced relocation from the capital of Rome to the city of Corinth in order to prepare them for ministry, prepare them for the mission that he had for their lives. And the same is true of many of you. Many of you have difficult circumstances in your life, and you're, you're prone to think that difficulties in your life are somehow you're being punished for your sin or somebody else's sin. But often, difficult circumstances in our life are merely God's means of preparing us for the mission that he calls us to. I told you that Kathy and I just returned uh, from overseas. We were in the country of Pakistan for a little over three weeks, and um, we had the joy of meeting with Christian leaders in three different locations and three different groups and walking through God's Word with them and, and uh, listening to their stories about how they're sharing in a country where persecution is, well, it's, uh, it's just a part of their daily existence as Christians living in a, a Muslim-majority country. We also were staying in a hotel, and in that hotel, um, between trainings, we met with uh, Afghan refugees that uh, 
had been forced out of Afghanistan because of the, of the Taliban's takeover. They're streaming across. There are millions now, literally millions, that have come across the border from Afghanistan to Pakistan in order to find a new life. Most of these are, are Muslims, of course, and as we were uh, walking through the lobby of our hotel one day, I uh, saw a gentleman and, and uh, his family and, and uh, introduced ourselves to one another, and he knew that we were Americans. He says, I, I'd like to talk with you. And uh, we didn't know what that was going to lead to. We prayed about that, but we had, we had a little meeting with him, had tea with him, and it, his oldest too. And uh, he turns out he was a general in the, in the uh, Afghan army, and he was sharing the trauma of the experience of the, losing the war in Afghanistan and fleeing across the border, piling his family in a car and just trying to escape. And uh, we reassured him as we we're talking with him that uh, God has a plan for his life, and, and we would be praying for him that God would work in his circumstances he'd be able to relocate his, his family to, to another country. God uses difficult circumstances in our life, allows difficult circumstances in our life, not as his punishment of us, but to prepare us for the mission that he calls us to. He did this with his own son. Jesus, you remember, began his ministry by 40 days of temptation out in the wilderness. Why? so that he could examine his own heart and see where his motivations were, what, were, what was draw, going to drive his ministry. God does the same with all of his children. He tests our heart through the difficult circumstances in order to prepare us for the work that he calls us. Another thing that I think we can see as an application through this opening passage about Aquila and Priscilla is, um, is their marriage. Through their marriage, they learned how to work as a team. They learned about teamwork. I said they were together 24-7 in business together. Uh, they were, they, um, they were all, both at home and in business. They worked together even before they came to know Jesus. We don't know exactly when they came to know Jesus. Presumably, it was because of the influence of Paul in their lives. But uh, in any case, they saw their marriage as a partnership. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. This was God's original plan for marriage for humanity. This is what he declared to, uh, to Adam, or, uh, declared about Adam in Genesis 2 when he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God created marriage not only for intimacy and, and companionship, he created marriage for partnership so that we might learn how to make our marriage into a team as we work together on his mission. Now, I know that that's, that's uh, under assault in our, in our culture today, and sadly, uh, we see all kinds of other reasons for marriage in our culture, and oftentimes we see the effects of not pursuing God's plan for marriage and the way people pursue their own individual agendas and individual lives. And when my individual life and my, my spouse's individual life do not align, then we say, well, it's time to find another spouse or, or maybe no spouse at all. That's sort of the common pattern in our culture. But that was not God's original design. His design for marriage is that we would learn how to be a team. And this is what Aquila and Priscilla discovered in their own relationship. And 
And I hope this is something that you can discover in your marriage uh, with one another, how God would use you as a team. And the third thing that I think we can see as an application from these opening verses is that new relationships open up new opportunities. Now, hospitality in Aquila and Priscilla's day is much more common than a value than it is in our day. But still, this is pretty remarkable if you think about it, that Aquila and Priscilla would bring a stranger not only into their business, but into their home and allow him to live with them, not just for the obligatory overnight stay, but just indefinitely living with them in their home. Think of the cost of privacy that that would. Think of the cost of, well, just the resources to feed and, and take care of this man. And yet, that's what they did, uh, because they saw that a relationship with uh, this man of God was not about competition with him. Uh, it was about uh, learning from and, and exploring this new opportunity. And you know what? And I know it's difficult uh, for us to, especially if we've been in a place for a while. I know how it is on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, when you, when you come in, you want to you wanna see your friends. You haven't seen them all week. And, and you want to gravitate towards those that you know. And, and that's a great thing. But may I encourage you that you use the opportunity of Sunday when, when people are coming in to look around and say, I'm not sure I know that person. Maybe we've met once or twice before, but I'm not sure we've gotten to know. And I would just encourage you to take maybe the first five minutes after the service ends and find somebody you don't know and introduce yourself and reintroduce yourself and say, hey, maybe we can grab a cup of coffee sometime, or let's go to lunch today, or something like that. And I just ex encourage you to do that, to look for new relationships, because new relationships open up new opportunities. The author of Hebrews tells us that when we entertain strangers, we may indeed be entertaining angels unaware. Or, in Aquila and Priscilla's case, we may be entertaining an apostle unaware. So let's, let's move on in the story. We see that uh, God prepared this couple for, for his mission through their difficult circumstances, uh, which they learned were about God preparing their hearts rather than punishing them. He prepared them for his ministry, uh, a mission through forming them into a team so they might learn how to work together as a team. And he prepared them to be on mission all the time by uh, exposing them to new relationships that created new opportunities in their life. Well, let's look down at verse 18. We read in verse 18 that Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. If you look back up at verse 11, it says that Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So, so the apostle Paul lived in Corinth for about a year and a half, some time, most of that time, presumably, he's living with Aquila and Priscilla. And then he decides to leave Corinth and go somewhere else. Now, we're not at all surprised by that. This is what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul traveled from place to place. He would engage people. He would go to the synagogue. He would share the gospel. He would share with Gentiles. He would establish a church. And then he would move on. And that's what Paul did. What's surprising is what we read next. They left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now that's interesting. He had just met them a year and a half before. He had spent time in their home. 
but now they join his missionary team and leave Corinth to go with him towards Syria, back towards the east. Now, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sincrea because of a vow he had taken. Now look at verse 19. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, and when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I'll come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. So this is interesting to me. So Aquila and Priscilla join the Apostle Paul's missionary team. They're excited about that. And the first place they get to, he leaves them behind. He goes on and leaves them in Ephesus. I would feel a little unsettled by that if that was my experience. I, you know, excited to join Paul's team, excited to see where that takes me. And the first place we stop, he says, well, you go ahead and stay here, and I'm going on. But that's what they did. And I believe they did this because God wanted them to see that being on his mission is not about a place. Being on his mission is about a person about Jesus Christ, which means we're on his mission anytime and anywhere. And that's what they learned in Ephesus on their own as missionaries in this new city. Leaving Rome had not been a choice, but leaving Corinth had been a choice. Now they're in Ephesus and we don't know all of the reason that God had them in Ephesus, but we're, Luke shows us one of the reasons in the passage that we began the sermon with in verse 19. It says, uh, I'm sorry, in, in verse uh, uh, 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now we're, now we're introduced to a new character in this story, and that character is Apollos. Unlike Aquila and Priscilla, Apollos was an educated man. Apollos was a great speaker. He was from, uh, he was also a foreigner like them. He was from Alexandria, which uh, is in Egypt, uh, the, uh, along the Mediterranean coast. So he's actually from the continent of Africa, um, as they were from, or Aquila, Aquila was from the continent of Asia. Um, they met there, uh, but diff unlike Aquila and Priscilla, he's an educated man. He didn't work with his hands. He worked with his mouth. He was an orator. He was a speaker. He was an apologist. He went around from synagogue to synagogue uh, sharing the good news that the Messiah had come. He shared the good news that God had established his kingdom, was bringing his kingdom to bear. He shared the good news that Jesus was the Messiah. He shared the good news about what Jesus had taught, but he only knew the baptism of John. Now I want you to think about the contrast between Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla. Apollos is an educated man, a great speaker, a dynamic speaker, made an impression everywhere he went. 
Aquila and Priscilla, they're tradespeople. They work with their hands. They're probably not well-educated, probably never held a, a Bible in their hands uh, like Apollos had. Maybe they couldn't even read. We don't know. But they were not as educated as Apollos. And yet they knew something that Apollos didn't know. And because of that, they were emboldened to confront this great orator, this learned, educated man, and tell him what he didn't know. It says that he taught about Jesus accurately, but not completely. He taught, he knew only the baptism of John. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism, what Aquila and Priscilla instructed Apollos in that corrected his ignorance. We get a glimpse of that in the next chapter, chapter 19, verse, uh, we, we read in the opening verses that Apollos is coming back towards um, Ephesus, and he meets some disciples. He meets some who are followers of Jesus. And he asks them an interesting question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I don't know how he knew to ask that question, but in some way he knew to ask that question. And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul asks, then what baptism did you receive? And he answers, John's baptism. Now, this was the message that Apollos was teaching. He was teaching about John's baptism. That's all he knew. And then Paul explained, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So John, the, John the Baptist, in fact, he says this, according to Matthew's gospel, he says, I baptize you with water for the forgiveness of sins, but one is coming after me, who, who's more worthy than I'm not even worthy to unlace his sandals, who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Apollos didn't know this. This is what Aquila and Priscilla taught Apollos, taught them about the Holy Spirit and the baptism, Christian baptism. See, John's baptism is important. It's about it's about repenting from our sin. It's about recognizing, even as we prayed earlier, just the, the horror of, that sin is and, 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 being, and having a hatred of sin so that we want to turn from that. John's baptism was a repentance from that in hopes of a Messiah that would deliver. But Christian baptism goes beyond that. Christian baptism is the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead and has given us not only forgiveness of sin, but the power over sin by the Holy Spirit. See, Apollos didn't know this. Aquila and Priscilla explained to him the glories of what it means to be baptized into Jesus Christ, what it means to have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, being the temple of the Spirit, so that the Spirit of God is transforming us from the inside out. Apollos didn't know this. And so the message Apollos was teaching to people accurately about Jesus coming to be the Messiah, but not teaching them about the victory and power over sin that they now could enjoy. Not teaching them about the, the transformation that the Spirit does within us when 
He comes to dwell within us because of what Jesus has done. Isn't it great to know the whole gospel? See, Apollos didn't know this. And if it hadn't been for Aquila and Priscilla, Apollos would have continued to teach an accurate but incomplete message to those around. And not just 12 men from from Ephesus would have been affected, but many throughout the whole region would have had an incomplete gospel. So here's some applications from this episode in Aquila and Priscilla's life. First of all, commitment to truth gave this couple confidence. Commitment to truth gave this couple confidence. I, 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 expect, I expect it was an awkward situation for this great orator to be confronted by these humble tradespeople and shown that he didn't have complete knowledge. I mean, think about it. This guy had studied books. Alexandria was famous throughout the ancient world as being the repository of great works. Uh, The library of Alexandria was famous throughout the the Roman world. Apollos had the joy of having read philosophy and history and all kinds of works from uh, the ancient times, but his education did not show him the truth that Aquila and Priscilla knew. And they were not intimidated by who he was. And brothers and sisters, you don't need to be intimidated by anybody that stands in this pulpit or any book by some famous Christian author or anything you see on TV or anything you hear on the radio. You don't need to be intimidated by that if you know the word of God. And if you're committed to the truth of God, then you can be like the Bereans we read in the previous chapter who when the Apostle Paul came through, they were excited about his message, but they went home to search the scriptures to make sure that what he said conformed to what the word of God says. So Aquila and Priscilla were committed to truth, and because they were committed to truth and knew the truth, they were not intimidated by this great orator. But but notice that they they confronted Aquila and Priscilla with humility and gentleness. And brothers and sisters, that should be a great model and example to us. They didn't troll him on his social media page. They didn't call him out in the synagogue and stand up and say, you're a heretic. And uh, they didn't do any of that. They invited Apollos into their home, showed him hospitality, and then lovingly taught him the truth about Jesus and about the reality of the Holy Spirit having come and, and could filling, fill, filling their lives and could fill his. They showed him love. And brothers and sisters, this is what a commitment to truth really does. If we love people, then we show them error, but we do that in a way that's gentle, and humble so that they might grow. We don't leave people in their ignorance. That wouldn't be loving. We love them enough to show them the truth, but we do it with an attitude of gentleness and humility. And the final application that I see in this passage is that their obedience, Aquila and Priscilla's obedience, led to multiplication. 
Apollos had been sharing all over the region, going from synagogue to synagogue, talking to Jews, telling them their Messiah had arrived. Many Jews had accepted that message, but they didn't know the power of the Holy Spirit because he didn't know that part of the gospel story. Think of how many people would have been affected had Aquila and Priscilla not gently and humbly, because of their commitment to truth, told him the truth about the Holy Spirit. But because they did, Apollos then was equipped, and because he received it well, he was equipped and empowered then to share the full gospel with everyone he met. Now, Apollos is arguably the third most effective evangelist, fruitful evangelist in in the New Testament after Paul and Peter. Apollos is arguably the third, maybe the second. Uh, He was an itinerant uh, apologist for the Lord, a great apologist and a great missionary. But he, he he became a greater missionary because this humble couple invest, invested their lives in him. So brothers and sisters, God prepares us to be on mission all the time. That's his desire, that's his heart for all of us, that we would be on mission, on his mission, all the time, anytime, anywhere. And he prepares us for that by often using difficult circumstances in our life, not not to punish us, but to prepare our hearts to receive his guidance in them. He uh, he does that by by, uh, helping us to learn how to work on teams so that we're not trying to do this on our own. We're working together, uh, whether it's a a married couple or it's working on teams here in your church, uh, here at Lake Morton, or or other teams, we work together in order to accomplish because we're more effective working together. And then he prepares us for his mission by exposing us to new relationships so that we see new opportunities, just as he did with Aquila and Priscilla. He wants us to stay on his mission anytime and any place because being on mission for God is not about a place It's about a person. You don't have to go to Pakistan uh, to be on mission. You don't have to be a formal missionary to be on mission. You can be a missionary right here in Lake Morton, right here in Central Florida, as you see opportunities to engage with those around you. This is what God's desire for you is. So if you know Jesus this morning, then I invite you to follow the example of Aquila and Priscilla, to see how God is preparing you to be on mission, and then to commit yourself to be on that mission, to stay on that mission, wherever you are, with whomever he leads you to, where, uh, at any time that he opens up the opportunity. Uh, it's possible that you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and it's an opportunity for you as well to, to know him. You know, Jesus loves you. He's brought you to a place that maybe you're here this morning hearing this for the first time and and God is speaking to your heart. I'd love to talk to you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus that will change the rest of your life. I'm sure your elders would love to talk to you. Your your pastor, Andrew, would love to talk to you as well. So if you want to talk to me or, or someone else after the service, we'd love to show you how you can begin that relationship and begin an exciting journey 
with our Lord. But for all of us who are in Christ, we're commanded to go. Go and make disciples. And we have God's promise that if we do, Jesus says, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Will you bow in prayer with me, please? Father, I thank you for um, recording in your word the story of Aquila and Priscilla. Father, I know I have uh, read over uh, their names uh, many times in the past and have uh, not really reflected on the significance of why you included this in your word, why you inspired Luke to record their story and, and other, other uh, Paul to record their story and, and uh, list their names in different epistles. But you did that, Lord, for our instruction uh, so that we might uh, learn from their example and apply these things to our own lives. So, Father, you've called us to be on mission and uh, you've called us to do that because you love people. And you love people enough to have sent your son to, to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins, to rise victoriously from the dead, to give us victory over those sins. And you've given us your Holy Spirit so that we might live lives that glorify you. So Lord, we commit ourselves to do that. We ask that you would move upon each of our hearts in those areas that you want us to surrender those areas where you're preparing. Lord, maybe there's some here that you're calling to go from this place to another place and pray that they would obey you. But Lord, you're speaking to all of us to be salt and light right where we are. And so Lord, I pray that we'd be more diligent about that. And with your Holy Spirit, we can. And we just thank you that you're with us today. And we thank you for this story. In Jesus' name, amen.